If we need to create a more inclusive world, we have to be allies for each other, make space for each other. Every right is important, every need is important, no one more than the other. And really trying to feel our way into that. Hello, I'm Frances Keane, your host and founder of Personally Speaking and the B-Side podcast. As a naturally curious person, what I've observed is that often the backstory, what I think of as the B-Side, is where the hidden gems really exist. In this podcast series, we get the opportunity to hear from some thought leaders and discover what drives ordinary people to achieve extraordinary things. So my guest today is not only someone I have worked with for 15 years, but also someone I have known since childhood. Caroline Casey is an award-winning social entrepreneur, founder of The Valuable 500, an international speaker, including stages such as Davos, TED, and One Young World, as well as a mentor and advisor. Caroline, thank you very, very much for taking the time to chat with me today, albeit virtually, we're still going to have a good chat. One of the first things I was going to chat to you about is that you are somebody who is normally on a plane, traveling, connecting with people, speaking at conferences. You are actually a real face-to-face person. And even people who see you on stage kind of feel that connection with you. So how are you finding lockdown? Well, I'm a real heart-to-heart person, I think. Um, And I feel energies. So the first few weeks of lockdown, I so missed the physical energy and feeling of people. And um, and I'm a hugger. I mean, everybody knows. I mean, I would hug anybody. God bless anybody who comes into my realm. Um, even the CEOs of, of companies I'm trying to convince. So I found it really hard, actually. I found the, though I'm living here with my husband and, you know, friends, and it's wonderful, don't get me wrong. I And I've enjoyed the quietening or the gentling of myself. There's probably th- three things that really occurred to me one is I think I'm a digital introvert. Um, I've been finding this online communication so hard to turn up as as who I am. I'm very shy in myself, which is not something I am on stage. So I have huge compassion now for what it must be like for people who are more introverted in public. Um, the second thing I think I've really learned is that I've been running around the world so fast that in the slowing down of of coming home and not moving, um, I feel a gentling in myself and and that's quite magical, um, but it's also made space so much for my creative thinking again. And you can hear a smile on my face, so that's been fantastic. The last thing is I've really hunger for nature. I'm really hungry to go out and do grass angels and like I've been swimming in the Irish Sea and I have lived beside the Irish Sea for like since all my life. And now I'm swimming and, and I, because I need to touch nature. So I think they're the three big things that have come up for me. Yeah. So actually you say there you're a digital introvert, but do you think, you know, some of us are partially introvert, partially extrovert. Is it just a digital thing or have you explored a new part of Caroline Casey during this time? No, I think people who don't know me, I mean, you know me, um, people who don't know me would be very surprised when I say 
I'm very shy. Um, and I, I really believe I'm half introvert and half extrovert. Um, and don't they call that ambivert? I mean, one of my most favorite books is Susan Cain's book. And that's when I read a description of myself that I was like, oh, that's so me. <laughs> you know, I use extroverted behavior because I genuinely love people. And I, I am so energized by people. I love it. But I, I deeply appreciate my own home time. I actually love nothing more than being with with Gar, who's my husband. He's taught me how to shut up. <laughs> that there's there's a grace and there's just a, a magnificence in, in quietness. I think I used to always fill the gaps before because when there was silence, it always meant to me there was trouble. One of the things you mentioned there, Caroline, was uh, you've been able to dip into your creative side, which is something I'm delighted to hear because you have a huge creative side and actually your approach to whatever you do is very creative. Is this something that you would like to explore more? Are you going to use this creative side more going forward? You know, what we think creativity is, we see it as people who have beautiful talent in art and writing and singing and music. I mean, I really wish one of my superpowers would be that I could sing. I would love to be able to sing. And for years I thought the word creativity meant that, but actually it's not. I think my secret sauce is everything I approach in life. I actually approach from a creative way and I've only started to know that really and appreciate that in myself. Putting together the Valuable 500 in the campaign that I've done, everything was design-led thinking. Everything was creatively thought through and felt actually, really felt like I when in designing things or coming up with solutions, I listen to music, I, I might dance around, I might see a color that inspires me to have a word or how I would frame something. And in a way, I always thought that was normal, but it was in building, co-building our home with Gar that I realized that actually I am fueled by creativity. It makes me breathe. Um, I couldn't live without it. And I think now I've more confidence as I'm older that I don't need to to see creativity as an absolute talent in the traditional sense, but just as a way of living. And I've loved being at home because when you're more still, you can appreciate that more in yourself. And I get more excited about the simplest things of creativity. I mean, I've always been obsessed with color and my father ran a printing company actually and I used to hug the Pantone color books, steal them going home from the art room, because for me, they were like jewels. Like they were just this imaginary magic to have a Pantone book of color. And mm. I guess I live my life a bit like that. Like they're the unexpected things that people don't know about me in the same way they think that I'm an extrovert. I'm actually not. The, the magic of me comes from my silence. And when I kind of pull the duvet over and I disappear, you know, there are things I'm really kind of, they're being much more amplified now at home because I can. Yeah. You know, it's great. And what if, like, it's so many different parts of what you just said there, I'd love to explore, but what influence, what influences you creatively? Where, where do you get your inspiration from? Oh my gosh. Um, oh, Francis, like so many, there's so many things. I'm never a good person to say, you know, what's your favorite thing? Because I have so many things that I love, but where I draw inspiration from is the energy and the connection that I have with people. 
Like, no doubt about it. I think, isn't there nothing more amazing that when you have this conversation or a connection with a person and it just flows, right? It's just amazing. So that's certainly one of my high ones. The other things is truly design. And it's interesting for somebody who's so visually impaired and register blind for that to be something. But I feel design. I feel color. Nature is another big inspiration. Photography, galleries. I mean, even the taste of food, dancing, music. I mean, if anything is going to pop my bubble, it's a song that just touches the inside of my heart. Um, other things like one of my most beautiful things, for those of you people who know me very well, is I love fairy lights and candlelights and phosphorescence in a sea. I think it's sometimes the unexpected. It is always the accent to something else. I'm oh, I'm fascinated by the intersection of, of yin and yang. I love the tension of things as well. So lots of inspiration. It comes from lots of different places. But if I have to call one place, it comes from my heart. <laughs> to God, it comes, it comes from inside me. You are a very hearty person. And it's actually something that you get a lot of, you were saying that you get a lot of inspiration from connecting with people and from the energy of people. But people who are around you really get so much. Like when you're on stage, I've seen you on stage in front of 30,000 people. And I honestly think that those 30,000 people felt that they got a bit of your energy and connection that day. So it's amazing. It's what you get, you give as well. You also mentioned there that, you know, a lot of people would be surprised to know that Caroline Casey is shy. And maybe that is because you're only showing us these parts of yourself now, you know, because Caroline Casey has been on stage. You are campaigning for the people who are marginalized by society. That's been your mission for the last 25 years. Maybe you've grown up a little bit over that time as well, and you're bringing out a new side of yourself going forward. Does that resonate with you? There's a lot in that question too. I think I really feel I'm certainly more myself now um, than I've ever been. <laughs> and I I really own that, like I'm 48 years old. And in a way, it takes down a lot of the, the, the shadows or the barriers that you might have put up. And we imagine if we turn up this particular way, then we'll, we will more likely belong or be accepted. There's no doubt I have the energy and I, and I connect with people. The reason I didn't really talk about being shy is because in the work I do, it was about creating confidence for others. And by being nearly confident about what I was saying, it brought people in. What I have learned as I've grown older and hopefully a little wiser is actually my vulnerability was the most accessible way for people to connect. And I'm certainly more able to be vulnerable. I'm getting better at asking for help. Um, people have an image of me, which is, you know, I make it look easy. And it really hasn't been easy. And, and often because I don't talk about the things, I like I have a story that a lot of people know, but I mean, that's not my story. I used what came from that story. And I thought to be strong all the time was how I could get the job done in my vulnerability, I've found my greatest strength. And I really, I say that it might sound like a cliche, but actually it makes me more relatable to the people that I advocate with and for. Um, and, it, and I think maybe it makes me more accessible. And I believe that's why I am where I am now. I've learned a lot, 
But I don't think I'd be where I am with the success of the Valuable 500 if I hadn't taken down those shields, if I hadn't taken down the nearly caricature of Caroline. I've, I've really let that go. And I've cried on stage as you've watched me after my father died. You know, I let my heart break. I let my heart break on stage because it was real. And, um, and, that, and that has not been easy, but it has been true. And I think it's no coincidence that the Valuable 500 and, and professionally, I'm more at peace and probably achieving more. Mm. And was that hard to be vulnerable, Caroline? Is it hard to be vulnerable? I think people find it hard. Yeah, I think people would often say that I, I'm a very emotional person and I am. And you know, I own that and it's great. <laughs> so I think we're about to evolve into the era of emotion, you know. I love my emotion, but that's different to being vulnerable. In being vulnerable is one thing. It's often the hangover of the vulnerability that I have found very hard. So I let myself be vulnerable, but then it's the looking back on what I did and, and how I feel about that. Do you know what I mean? It's, it feels like a hangover of, you know, questioning myself. Whereas the moment of vulnerability is nothing as difficult as a hangover from it. And that takes practice. And, and that really is just about the typical cliches about acceptance and really knowing that you're doing the very best that you can at the right time. It was sometimes hard. I wouldn't really ask for help. And if I did, it was dismissive. And I would talk about a massive trauma as if I was talking about picking up something from the shops. So I sort of held a lot of people away, which is really an interesting contradiction since I'm a hugger, you know? Mm -hmm. But it's like often shy people like to be on stage. You know what I mean? It's, uh, mm. We often are contradicting in terms of how we feel and how we behave, you know? You have campaigned for people marginalized in society for the last 25 years. And COVID-19 is something that we've all experienced together. People have had to unite and behave in a certain way for the greater good of society. And I'm just wondering, in your world, do you think that our behaviours might change to be a more inclusive world going forward? Do you have seven hours? <laughs> oh, wow. Big, big, big question for, for somebody in the space of social justice. You know, we've all been on a journey at the beginning of COVID and I heard people say things like, this is the world's greatest equalizer. And I was with my head and my hands going, you gotta be kidding me. This is the world's greatest expose of the inequity of our world, you know? And I I, I could feel it, the experience of, of this virus and, and how different it was to where we happened to be born, you know? And the next phase was I was hearing People start to grapple with saying, well, this is the gender pandemic or this is the disability pandemic or this is the race pandemic or this is the LGBT pandemic. And you're going, oh, no, please, not identity politics in this human pandemic. And I think the big thing that I came away from was if we need to create a more inclusive world, we have to be allies for each other, make space for each other. Every right is important. Every need is important. No one more than the other. And really trying to feel our way into that. And the pandemic has shown the difference between haves and have nots. And that terrifies me. But how do I feel as we come out? I'm known to be an optimist. All you need to do is show me a pinprick of a light in a dark sky and I will chase that to the very end because I believe in human capacity for change. I believe we all want good. I believe 
that when we see ourselves in another, we would do things differently. We have had a sense of mainstream exclusion, our freedom taken away from us. And for that moment, maybe, maybe we've had collective empathy and it may be forgotten quickly. But there is one thing that I am sure of. We cannot unknow what we know. We have seen that the world is unjust, unequal, unfair. And I think for those of us advocating in the more inclusive space, we have also seen the world can and will adapt when it wants to. And I think we'll hear a dial up of people saying no more excuses. Everyone means everyone. All meets all. And we need to respect the dignity of every human being on this planet. And that's the piece that I'm excited about. And I hope together we will make space for each other and not compete and say, if I give to you, I take away from myself. We don't. This is a human race. And I, and I, maybe I'm idealistic. We're all equally unique and valuable. And that means hearing our different needs. And I believe that we could do this if we wanted to. So it's the cracks where the light gets in. The light will get in. Yeah. And you are, with the Valuable 500 movement, I know that you are looking to get over 500 CEOs on board. And I think you've got 281 to date. But do you think maybe going forward, these CEOs and these leaders will be different leaders tomorrow? Maybe they'll be more purpose-driven. Maybe this will have opened up the fact that nothing can be certain and we need to be more inclusive. I talked to two CEOs today, right? Yeah. Um, both who've joined the Valuable 500, so it's not official yet, but we're actually up to 286. Woohoo! Brilliant. Well done. Like, can I just say 286, and that's globally, um, and that represents the power of 14 million employees. So this is a transformative time. And what I'd say is, so our job at the Valuable 500 is to elevate the the issue of disability to leadership level so that we can normalize and integrate disability within business. It's very simple. And we believe that we can do that with a collective mass of 500 CEOs. So before COVID, we were doing amazing. We were doing phenomenal. I believe the feedback has been there has been no organization initiative campaign that's ever been able to amass 240 CEOs and companies within 12 months, which we had done. But since COVID, we've got another 45. And I think to your point, Francis, is I'm feeling that the humanity or the humanness or the in our CEOs and our leaders has been allowed to come up because they've been at home. They've been living with their families. They've been seeing their parents. They are, they're removed from the tinsel and sham and all the performance that exists in, in, in having to be a corporate leader. And it's gone really into being human. And so the conversation has become a lot more real, a lot more real. Um, and I see, you know, I, the questions that the CEOs are asking are just so much more human. CEOs are willing to say, look, I don't really know, but can you help? And I think there's something about, because the Valuable 500 is this very rare and unique community, essentially ready to, to be part of resetting this business system. And here we have them and they're open. And I don't find them defensive. Um, actually, I would say with every valuable 500 CEO, and this is a very interesting thing we've learned, is the CEO has never said no. The business system, the business 
has made the excuses. And so now the CEO is saying, no, you're right, no more excuses, and is really ensuring that the business says yes. Can you just explain that? What do you mean by the business system says no? So if you have a CEO at the top of the business, it's the people below. It's the policies. It's the, it's the, the corporate structure that exists. So often a CEO will say, well, yeah, I'd, I'd absolutely love to do it. Now I'm going to pass you on to A, B and C. And okay. then it goes into A, B and C. And A, B and C come back with a plethora of excuses between, oh, but we don't want to boil the ocean or we're scared because we haven't done enough. And actually, that's the block, is fear. It still yeah. remains fear. We're frightened we haven't done enough. And you're going, well, that's okay. Being frightened that you haven't done enough is not a reason to be in, you know? And I think we have to be mindful. Business agendas are overburdened. So often they might just cast away the thing that they don't believe will have a direct impact on their shareholders at the bottom line because they haven't made the connection between valuable, uh, the valuable community, which is of 15% of our global population of a disability. So it's our job just to accept where it is, not to shame, not to criticize, not to be cruel, but just to, to find a way to find those cracks where we can help them move forward. And you know, you brought up something very interesting there. You were saying that a lot of the CEOs are saying, I just don't know. And maybe because we've had this unprecedented uh, crisis, which we did not know about it, that will be introduced to the conversation a lot more. And I think the words, I just don't know, are very, very important and have been absolutely underused. The more senior you get, the less you don't know. And it's the only way we really learn. I, I don't know if that, if you find that, Caroline, uh, you, I think you I, talk about, you know, learning from your failures and how it's actually been the building blocks to who you are. So, Well, I think, I think you've actually hit on something really important. I think there's been permission to say, I don't know, because none of us know what's happening. We don't know. We can make a guess. We can look at science. We can look at astrology. We can look at anything, okay? But actually... We don't know. And in this place of uncertainty, chaos or whatever, we're all in that place of we actually don't know. So maybe you're right. Maybe actually leaders are more comfortable to say they don't know. And, and actually, how could a leader know about disability business inclusion, right? Unless they have a lived experience of it. And how can they know? And so for me, the greatest chance we have for change is when we stand back and go, Actually, I don't know. And um, from my perspective from failure is, you know, at the beginning in, in my 20s, you know, failure was just, that's it. You know, I've, I'm, I'm on the heap. Um, and then as you grow older, you dance with failure more. Um, and I don't even see failure anymore in the way I used to. It's sort of this, it's a really interesting point. Once again, this sounds like a cliche, but it's a really great point to learn. And um, I also have no problem saying when I don't know. I mean, I, I said it to a CEO this morning. She asked me and she said, you know, she was asking me questions about how I saw the trend of disability or whatever. And I said, you know what? I don't know, but I'm dying to find out. And I, she said, it's lovely to hear that. She said, you don't have the answers. And I'm not going to lie to you. I'm responsible and accountable. The fact that I don't know, I don't have all the answers, but I'd like to find out with you and with this group. So I think that's authenticity and I think that's honesty. And I think, you know, when I know something, I'll say I know it. When I don't know something, I'll say I don't know. 
And when I screw up, which I do lots of times, I totally own it and I say, I'm sorry. The one feeling, I, when I'm listening to you, what I feel is liberating. And I think that's what lots of audiences feel or, or people who are around you, they feel liberated. What liberates you? What do you get liberated by? Um, I mean, once again, so many things, but I love that you could say liberated. I mean, I think you were the one of the first people to know that what I wanted was freedom. You know, I think you you helped me, you know, find that. Oh my gosh, it's freedom. That's what I want. Freedom to not be defined by freedom to to be who I need to be and not to fit in, but to be free. Like I mean, and liberated is a is a is a wonderful extension of that. Um, I think connection. Look, when I connect with somebody, you know, I feel like I could fly. You know, I have I have denim jackets with sparkly wings on them. You know, I connecting with people makes me feel like I can fly. Music makes me feel there's a particular sound that makes me feel like I can. I'm soaring. I mean, I can feel it in my heart even as I say it. Um, watching people be happy, watching that moment or when they experience something, be part of it, creating experiences that make them watching a transformative moment for somebody else. Nature, absolutely love. I'm sorry, but love it does it to me every time. And I, I can't deny creativity and art is a big part for me, a huge part of creating, designing. When, when we designed our wedding, which was in our home that we had physically built ourselves. My God, I felt, I really, I felt liberated. Mm. I felt like all the things that, that hold you down were gone. I felt like I could play and dancing and dancing makes me liberated. And I think if I was to say on the other side of the shadow side of me, because we all have light and shadow, you know what the greatest liberation of all time is forgiving myself for the, the things I didn't do well and for when I failed and when I didn't turn up like I wanted to turn up and actually owning that and not being frightened of that and healing from it and forgiving myself, that has been the best liberation of all. Yeah, and being able to forgive yourself is, an, is, yeah. is, is a wonderful gift. Um, I often think of that uh, phrase when people say, imagine if other people spoke to you the way you spoke to yourself, you would never you wouldn't allow it where we speak no, to ourselves. We can, be very, we can be very harsh on ourselves sometimes. You influence loads of people, Caroline, um, all the time, um, friends and family and your audiences and people that you meet in business. But if you could influence them in just one way, if you said, I want to influence in one way, what would that be? I think it's what I want for myself. Freedom. Yeah, I just, you can hear my voice. It's, it's the thing that makes me, it just, it's the thing that touches into me so emotionally. Let me just say, I have a nephew who's five years old. He's just turned five. And there's nothing more incredible about going down on your honkers and putting your hands on a, a young child's shoulders and looking at them in their eyes and saying, you are just perfect the way you are. You know, if I want anything for anybody, what I want for myself is freedom not to be defined by a set of rules, a set of expectations, but to find a sense of peace and contentment in ourselves, that we're not comparing ourselves to others, that we fundamentally believe that we are good enough. And I want that for me and I want that for everyone else, because if that's where we work, would not, I mean, it's ridiculous to imagine it would be, but that would be a different world. 
Um, so that's what I want for people to feel at peace within themselves, to be free, to be who they need to be and know that they're never going to be discriminated against, be abused, be hurt, be killed. You know, I want, I want the soul, the wings of the soul of every person to be able to spread, I guess. Yeah. And, you know, everybody I've talk, spoken to, Caroline, for this series, the one thing that comes up is the sense of purpose. And if that is your purpose and the way that you would like to influence people, well, you are definitely doing it both through the Valuable 500, but also through all the talks that you do and how you motivate people and connect with people. So keep doing what you're doing. And thank you so much for being my guest today, Caroline. Um, we will talk to you soon. Well, can I say one thing before I finish? Sure. I, whenever you do a conversation like this, you're only hearing one voice. And I want to just make it really clear that this one voice has so many arms wrapped around her and nobody can do all of this on their own. So though I'm the voice speaking and I might do the influencing Everybody influences me from behind and helps me do it. And you are one of them to me. So thank you for everything and being part of my journey as well. Oh, thank you, Karen. Very lovely to say that. Thank you. <laughs>